Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, the White House celebrated Infrastructure Week, or at least they wanted to, but couldn't, because this week was James Comey a go-go in the Senate Intelligence Committee. Yes, the former FBI director debuted his testimony in front of an eager gaggle of senators, and he seemed pretty bent on making sure everyone knew that President Donald Trump was a serial liar. The White House, of course, struck back, accusing Comey of leaking privileged information and telling falsehoods of his own. Everyone in D.C. apparently went to a bar to watch these hearings on television because we're a sad bunch of drunks here. And that's Infrastructure Week, so congratulations to Infrastructure. Meanwhile, if you can even remember where the country was a handful of days ago, you might remember last week's big hullabaloo, President Trump's decision to exit the Paris Climate Accords. There was a lot of doomsaying in the wake of this decision, but there were also several renewed commitments made by other American politicians to stay engaged with the rest of the world on this project. So is Trump's decision going to leave a hole in the planet or merely create a leadership vacuum for others to fill? We'll try to reckon with what lies ahead. Finally, growing tensions between several Arab states and Qatar blossomed into new antagonism this week as a Saudi-led coalition of states announced they were going to sever their ties with a tiny nation on the Arabian Peninsula. Is the orb involved? It, it actually kind of is. But President Trump, more importantly, is knit up in this latest mess as well. I'm Jason Lincolns with HuffPost reporters Akbar Ahmed, Arthur Delaney, Elise Foley, and Kate Shepard. Here's what happened first. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Guess what? It's time once again for our little podcast. So that happened here at HuffPost, our week in what we're calling the political discourse, for lack of better words. My name is Jason Lincolns. I'm the editor of Eat the Press at HuffPost. Uh, Zach Carter, who's normally on this uh, podcast, we'll just dispense this right away. He's on book leave. You know this. He's working on a book called Monopolies Are Great. It will be you will be auto-billed and it will be auto-delivered to your wireless devices whenever it is published, probably before it's even edited because no one cares. Um, joining us today that we have Arthur Delaney. Hi. That was super enthusiastic. Glad you're with us. Um, and we're very excited. Our friend Elise Foley is here. I'm happy to be here. I know you are. Lordy, has it been a Week, right? The The signature event of this week was the Comey hearing in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And dude did not waste time. He came in very hot a day after he put out his uh, statement in advance. This would be James Comey, the former FBI yes, director. Yeah, thanks for – yes, in case anyone out there didn't know that we're talking about James Comey. I don't know any other Comeys, but um, – 
he uh, pretty leaned heavily. He leaned pretty heavily on the idea that Donald Trump is, for the lack of a better word, a liar. And he did a great job in uh, – he did two things that were wonderful. First, he came out and said, I'm not going to read my opening statement, which everyone read the day before. Right. It went viral, as they say. And so he delivered a new opening statement in which he said how surprised and confused he was by the Trump administration's justifications for why Trump fired him, which, of course, obviously made no sense. So it was refreshing to hear his take on the matter. So it confused me. When I saw on television the president saying that he actually fired me because of the Russia investigation, the administration then chose to defame me and, more importantly, the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. And I am so sorry that the FBI workforce had to hear them, and I'm so sorry that the American people were told them. I worked every day at the FBI to help make that great organization better. So it is puzzling because let's oh God, let's walk back through it. When when Comey was fired, the first thing you heard was that he was fired because of decisions he made uh, during the election season, specifically pertaining to. Hillary Clinton and her email servers, which raised a lot of eyebrows because we didn't know why Donald Trump suddenly cared about that. He spent most of the election season suggesting that Clinton belonged locked up because of her email server. Then it came out because Trump said it on television that he he fired Comey because of the Russian investigation and then told other people through channels that it relieved a lot of pressure to have Comey gone and the – Russian investigation imperiled. Am I missing something? Am I crazy? No, no I don't think I so. I mean, crazy pills? one of the things that was interesting to was hearing Comey sort of say that he was just as surprised by Trump saying that as everyone else. All of us were like, wow, you're just going to admit that that's why, why you did it? And sounds like Comey was surprised by that, too. And then he went on to say a few times during the hearing that he was fired because of uh, his handling that Trump didn't like something about how he was handling the Russia investigation. So having that just be kind of a fact now is pretty striking when originally they were trying to you know, come up with other reasons they did it. Yeah, it's not supposed to take uh, – it's supposed to take a long time to ferret out such damning facts. And they've actually just been laid bare by Trump himself for so long that the entire uh, story is actually kind of bizarre. It feels like deja vu. Because we already know, because Trump said himself, I fired James Comey because he was investigating my campaign's possible ties to Russia. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I think the uh, the Trump administration has fixated on in the hopes that it will be somewhat exculpatory is the fact that uh, if you remember in, 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 in the memo that the Trump administration put out when Comey was fired, they made specific mention of three occasions on which Comey said he was not under investigation, that Trump personally was not under investigation. Uh, in Comey's statement that he put out in advance, he accounted for all three of those times. Puzzlingly, one of the three times was a time where Trump suggested that maybe the FBI should go all out in an investigation of the Steele dossier in the hopes of debunking it. And Comey had to explain to him, well, if we do that, then I wouldn't be able to say there wasn't an active investigation of you ongoing. This would be the dossier that describes the pee Trump like yeah. peeing yeah, on, or pee hookers peeing. Yes, yes. Among other and things. Trump watching, yes. I think. Yes, that's the 
that's the thing most people remember about the steel dossier. But there were other things in there too. It was it was essentially a, a raft of of uh, signals intelligence that a guy working for picked up out of the ether. It, a lot of it has not been confirmed, but they, there was an implication today during Comey's testimony that it's still a matter that needs to be discussed in closed session, which leads me to believe that there's still something about it that people are taking really deadly seriously, P-tape aside. But do you think that this is ultimately like exculpatory? No, it's such a non sequitur. Trump's lawyer came out after Comey's testimony and said uh, Comey confirmed that my client is not uh, under direct investigation for colluding with Russia. Not is, was. Right, which yeah, is – Because is now that, – that verb tense means a lot now because he did say during, t- during, the, uh, during the hearing today that he's sure – Quote, sure, that Robert Mueller, who the special, who's been appointed special counsel, is investigating the Trump administration for obstruction. Right. And it's just a non sequitur. That's what we're looking at now, whether Trump's firing of James Comey itself was corrupt, whether that itself was obstruction of justice. At least you covered yeah, I mean, the you, hearing for us. You see them do this a lot, right? Like they always come out and say, look, Trump won the election. Nobody is saying that Russia – you know, hack the election so that Trump didn't win. And it's like, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, you know, everybody who says that Russia messed with the election also says that, correct, Trump is president. So they kind of try to divert people with stuff like this. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely, at this point, the story, I think, uh, and the investigation, um, a lot of it in terms of Trump personally is whether he tried to obstruct justice here and pressure uh, Comey into dropping it. As Comey says that he did. So, Elise, you watched the hearing really closely and and did stories on it for us. Uh, Senators asked Comey if he thought there was obstruction of justice on Trump's part. And and did Comey say no? I I don't believe he ever specifically said yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... He, he didn't say no either. I mean, there was just this like crazy parsing of words over uh, how he said that he uh, – Trump said, according to Comey, that he hoped that he would uh, oh, right. sort of drop the Flynn investigation. That was uh, Jim Risch, Idaho senator, for, uh, for, who made a big point of trying to assuage fears that I hope you will let go of this was just sort of a casual conversation and not some kind of leaning into obstruction. I hope, this is the president speaking, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. He did not direct you to let it go. Not in his words, no. He did not order you to let it go. Again, those words are not an order. No. He said, I hope. Now, like me, you probably did hundreds of cases, maybe thousands of cases, charging people with criminal offenses. And, of course, you have knowledge of the thousands of cases out there that uh, where people have been charged. Do you know of any case where a person has been charged for obstruction of justice or, for that matter, any other criminal offense where this they said or thought they hoped for an outcome? I don't know well enough to answer. I took it as a direction. Right. I mean, as the president of the United States... With me alone saying, I hope this, 
I took it as this is what he wants me to do. Now, I didn't didn't obey that, but that's the way I took it. You may have taken it as a direction, but that's not what he said. Correct. That's what I said. He said, I hope. Those are exact words, correct. You you don't know of anyone that's ever been charged for hoping something. Is that a fair statement? I don't as I sit here. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I I mean, it's... It seems like a, it seems like if you if you were the Trump administration, you'd want there to be something firmer to to say about yourself than just oh well. It, yesterday it was oh they were having a New York conversation, you know. And today it's it was just a light conversation, lighthearted. Like yeah, Comey, don't be so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you misunderstood. It's no big deal. He was just saying he hopes it, not that you have to. Right. And and Comey said, though, that, you know, he, he's the president. We were in this room together. I felt, even if he didn't use the words, I direct you to do this, that I hope that you'll do this. He felt that that was Trump directing. He ordered him. everyone out of the room. So he was very clear that, you know, the, whether that's what Trump said those words or not, that's how he took it. It's so clear that that was an attempt to – thwart an investigation that we're almost left with nothing more to say. And, and Comey, you know, they asked him, is this obstruction of justice? And he's like, well, you know, that'll be up for Robert Mueller, who's the, the special counsel that yeah. the FBI has appointed. Now, he And he expressed a lot of confidence in Robert Mueller. The two two men have history. Uh, one of the more interesting things that came out, of course, in the hearing was, was uh, that in obtaining the special counsel, uh, Comey leaked memos to a friend of his. Uh, this is something else that, that Trump's lawyer is now super upset about. What can you tell us about that whole situation? Yeah, so the way that these uh, memos were initially reported where Comey said uh, – or Trump uh, reportedly, according to Comey, said to him, I hope that you'll you know let this Michael Flynn thing go – that came out um, in a New York Times story. And so Comey said today that – uh, during the testimony that he uh, had given that memo to a friend of his, a Columbia law professor. And that friend, you know, with Comey's permission, had given it or told the New York Times about it. So uh, basically, he he talked a lot about how he kept all these notes about his meetings with Trump, in part because he was worried that Trump might lie about their meetings and what went on. So uh, he, you know, w- was saying that, yeah, he took those notes and he put them out there for that reason. But uh, the Trump people are trying to imply that, you know, by doing that and, you know, even the word leaks is a little tricky there uh, in terms of as a technical term, that by doing that, he did something wrong. And what he said is like, look, these are my notes. I'm a private citizen. I could They're release them to my what, friend if I want. Wasn't Trump himself describing these meetings to to reporters repeatedly? Yeah, and like, Comey said he, you know, specifically tried in his notes to not, you know, he purposefully put no classified information in them basically so that he could release them, I think, at some point. And yet the, the Trump's lawyer is calling those communications classified and also privileged. And that's been – I can tell you that's been confusing to a lot of people. A lot of people can't fathom how on earth – that conversation was privileged in any way. Well, it's like they're claiming that anything that the president says, you're not allowed to repeat because he said it in private. Trump's lawyer also denies. No, it's not how it works. Now, Comey has been crystal clear in saying that Trump said to him, I expect loyalty, which is a key statement for creating this potential patronage relationship that would be basically corrupt. So Trump's lawyer came out and said, 
Trump did not say that in any way, shape, or form. But yet he also said that Trump feels entitled to loyalty all yeah. the same. He's like, he didn't say that, but Comey should be loyal. <laughs> which he could have. It com- would have been fine. Which fatally undermines I know. the only and, and How do you not sound like a heavy when you say that? And then uh, – so, OK. If we're going to have a contest of uh, he said, he said, how does the Trump administration expect to win – when they have been brazenly lying for years, when Donald Trump is a launches political career as a birther, do you want to get it, to the point where he, vaccines and autism? He says vaccines cause autism. Right, yeah, he I says Raphael Cruz killed JFK. <laughs> well, he says did in the killing. He says uh, <laughs> New Jersey Muslims cheered the 9/11 attacks. Yes. He says three million people elected you know, voted for Hillary Clinton illegally, and that therefore he actually won. The popular vote, which he obviously lost. He's been lying a blue streak his entire career. And now <laughs> you want to actually have a he said, he said? Well, the White House says that he's not a liar, which is in itself <laughs> oh, a lie. This <laughs> was so rich. While the Comey testimony was happening, they sent Sarah Huckabee Sanders into a off-camera briefing <laughs> just to say the president is not a liar. It's insulting that anyone would even ask. That's what she said. Don't lie so much if you don't want to be called a liar. <laughs> How can you not call him a liar? I, it's it's um, it's 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 beyond me. I mean, I, I will say that the, Comey noted twice that there was a press conference where where Trump denied asking Comey to stop the Flynn investigation. We know that's a lie. Uh, also, the Lester Holt interview, he said that. Uh, he said that Comey initiated contact in one of those meetings. He said that Comey requested. We know that's a lie, too. Those are, I mean. A small, pointless lie. A I, small, pointless lie. that never. Which needs- is what people who lie a lot do. And, you know. <laughs> These small, pointless lies we, as well. We should, we should talk about the pointlessness of all of this. There's, right now, the case that's being made against Trump doesn't really have anything to do with collusion with Russians, at least personal collusion. So I, I can't, obviously, we can't say anything about the people who, who Trump surrounded himself with. And notably, according to Comey, Trump can't say that either because Trump at one point said it would be great to investigate satellite people in my orbit to see if they had anything to do with it because that would be bad. Oh, yeah. Please catch the people yeah. around yes. me who are committing crimes. Yes. So it, so it may be – we we may not end up with anything that points to Donald Trump as a guy who was literally in, in cahoots with Russians. But if he had left Comey at the FBI, all of this might have just petered out. All of this might have just sort of like blown away. There wouldn't be Robert Mueller looking under every rock. Uh it's it's extraordinary how unnecessary this needed to be, and it all it's all down to the fact that Donald Trump said you can't be an independent agency director of the FBI, you have to sign up and and be loyal to me. I need your fealty, not your independence. It's just like so crazy to me. All of this maybe could have been avoided. I'm glad it's not. I mean, let's you know, go, let's get get this yeah. uh, get this over with on an revealed ex- something about yeah. the president. If I, you know, it's if the I, most transparent administration in history for sure. If if I <laughs> if I keep people's roll slowed on the whole collusion thing, it's it's because 
I don't want to get completely out over my skis on that. We're not talking we about prove. that. We're talking but, about but obstruction is, of justice. It is a clear – it is very clear that the obstruction of justice case is perhaps makeable at this point. And it needn't have been. It needn't have been, especially if Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong. I mean that's his position, right? I didn't do anything wrong. If he didn't do anything wrong, why is he all – Mess. He does things consistently that makes us think that he knows how the story is going to end and that's not going to end I, well. I don't understand the idea – this is what rep- the defense Republicans are getting to, that he's too incompetent to have really intentionally obstructed justice. He's new to this. That was what Paul Ryan said. <laughs> OK. OK. So, all right. Say he, he gets a, a pass ultimately on this whole thing. He's just going to do it again. He's just going to do something else corrupt, and he's proven that he is who he always has appeared to be. His lawyer said that he feels entitled to loyalty. Right. That's the situation for the new FBI director. Yeah, they're not only saying he didn't do it. They're saying that he could have and would have been in his rights to do it. Yeah, they're so, right. that's, There's that's, clearly no uh, remorse there or feeling that you know maybe I should have acted differently, or at least at least publicly. So it'll it'll if, so if he gets past this thing, it'll just be the next thing. So I don't. To me, it, it seems like Republicans should not be trying to drag out the Trump. At, at some point, what I wonder is at at what point are they going to have to say, okay, he's not new to this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he should know better. It's, you would think you know, after he became the president. Yeah, that would be nice. I just think I find it wild to, you know, say, yeah, I really thought that this guy should be president who, you know, I don't really think knows how to be president. You know, it's 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 people talk about like sort of the big things that go on with Trump, like his policy beliefs, his 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 sort of uh, retrograde views on immigration, his his anti-Islamic stance. But the this the thing about the Trump administration that I think is most fascinating are all the own goals. You know, you run out. You run out a, uh, a a travel ban without consulting with agencies that can help you avoid pitfalls. You you bring Russians into your office and joke around with them the day after. Well, not the day after, but like soon after Comey was fired. You tell them he was a Comey was a nut job. You, he didn't you, have to have those meetings with Comey where he said those things at all. He yeah. didn't have to meet with him. That's not a regular occurrence for the president and you, FBI director to you, be meeting. You don't get intelligence briefings. Consequently, you don't know that there's a massive military base in Qatar. And that it's it, it's all these little, little own goals of incompetence. And the funny thing is, is that there's no one around him who's willing to be an adult and say, we need – changes so you can be a more effective president. These guys, prior to the Comey hearing, were all trying to were all trying to come up with some way to keep Trump from watching television or tweeting about the Comey hearings. You know what you do? You just say, don't do that. Stop. Don't do that. You're hurting yourself. The fact that these guys all don't know how to manage him is crazy at this point. The fact that he needs to be managed is a little crazy it's, at this point. It's crazy. You can do th- – he could be a much more effective president. I'm not arguing that that would be good for any of us. But he would be a, and a more effective president if some adult in the room would be like, look, I need to teach you how to do shit. I need to teach you what you need to do to, to be in this in this office. I mean ultimately he didn't live tweet the hearing and he didn't say anything about it during a speech. So there's uh, – he – Cleared that very low bar for yes. himself. Is our a- is applause. our Trump's learning? Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. He became president in that moment. He became still an idiot. 
still an idiot. Anyway, it's uh, there's obviously going to be more to this coming up. I mean, one of the things that was very interesting was was uh, there was a lot of talk about what would be going on in closed sessions. Uh, speaking of sessions, one of those things uh, that Comey said was that there were facts that the public doesn't know yet about why he ultimately recused himself from Russia. It's Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Yeah, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Um, so uh, I think that there's going to be a lot more leaks to come once these closed, uh, once the closed part of these hearings happen, and then we'll see what goes on from there. No doubt. More leaks. Quite a week. Quite a week. All right. Uh, we have a really good show. Uh, we're going to talk about other things that aren't about Comey. Uh, so please stick around. We'll be right back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. So last week, I promised we would talk about the Paris Climate Accords, which President Donald Trump has elected to walk away from in some way, shape, or form. He's promised to renegotiate them. They've been negotiated over the course of many, many years. So it's very confusing what's happening. What's more confusing is, of course, the effect of walking away from Paris. Will it create literal environmental havoc? Or will it just simply open a leadership vacuum that the United States used to fill? Either one could be pretty bad. Here to talk about it, we have Arthur Delaney. Hi. Uh, You're on every segment. I don't know why I keep introducing you. Um, And we're very fortunate to have with us, before she jets off to North Carolina, Kate Shepard. Hi. Thanks for having me. No, I'm grateful to have you here because you know more about this than I think probably anyone here. So take us through – what the Paris the Paris Climate Accord? What? Let's just start here. What was it trying to do? The Paris Climate Accord was an attempt to get every country in the world together to come forward with a set of commitments to reduce our emissions. It is a voluntary agreement. Every country comes with their own contribution that they have made up themselves. There's not some kind of top down. You U.S. have to meet this number, and you China have to meet this number. Every country was able to come and say, "Here's what works for us and our economy and our timeline." Um, it was signed in 2015, but it's been this almost now at this point, it's been 25 years. This has been in the process that the international negotiators have been trying to reach some kind of agreement that all these world leaders could come together. Right. On. Now, now, you say it's not a top down agreement. No one's forced to do anything. But American leadership, to my, from what I've been led to believe, still played a critical role in putting this coalition together. Can oh, you- yeah. I mean, 
the reason we have the Paris Accord is that we had the Kyoto Agreement in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, in which the U.S. initially said that they'd be part of. And then when George W. Bush came into office, said, you know, never mind, we're actually not going to do this. And, you know, their major opposition was that China and India were not involved and they were the major emerging emitters. And so it took this, you know, another it took, it took another almost 15 years to get a, a new agreement that included China and India and the U.S. And that was really the U.S. insisting that they be part of it as well. And the major reason it is a voluntary agreement and not a treaty uh, in the sense that you normally have from the U.N. is because the Obama administration knew that they couldn't get a treaty approved by the Republicans Congress, sure. in the Congress. So uh, they were trying to get you – know, basically they're trying to get what they could – on you know together with other nations despite the fact that we have political challenges here in the US. So the idea of this is to reduce the amount of pollution that countries are making so that the world doesn't heat up and icebergs melt and Miami is underwater. And we so, die. And we and, and like yeah, our well, children we're probably are, we're probably fine, but yeah. Our children or, their, or our grandchildren will be drowning. So does withdrawing from that treaty make it more likely like, is that going to actually start happening more quickly as a direct result of the U.S. withdrawing from this treaty? Not a treaty, you know, agreement. I mean, given that climate change is a, a global problem and that, you know, we don't – it's not like our emissions aggregate over our head and not over the rest of the world. It's like we we, we are not taking part into the collective action in the way that we were before. Um, and that's – I mean, that's dangerous for a lot of reasons. One, because the U.S. is a major emitter. Um, we're not the biggest anymore, but we're still – we're still a really big emitter. Um, and so us not doing the things that we said we were going to do is is bad emissions-wise. I mean, the deal was written in a way that, you know, leaders are committing to trying to keep warming below 2 degrees Celsius. Um, and that's, you know, most estimates show that we're, we're probably going to go past that anyway. But it was a set of things that we were going to do to try to prevent that from happening. And so having the U.S. not take part in that is – it's it's bad for our emissions total. But I think the bigger concern is that it's bad for us and as far as being a partner in the international community and seeing this as a common threat that we need to work together to solve. Now, that sounds a little more symbolic. Like this, it makes us look bad as leaders, given that we're the biggest polluters per per capita. Well, it's, it's symbolic, but it's also practical, right? Like if the U.S. doesn't meet what it said it was going to do, why does China have to meet what they said they're going to do? And, you know, long term, that's a that would be a huge concern. Now, China has said that they're going to do it anyway because they see it as important for their for their health and well-being of their people, but also for them, economically speaking, they see it as an advantage to grow into the clean energy space. There are some economic factors at work here, of course. Renewable energy sources are growing less and less expensive. Donald Trump can't make them more expensive. Uh, Coal industry worldwide is experiencing a decline. Even in India, which was on pace to be a a coal emitter par excellence. The, the 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 coal industry there is has suffered some steep declines. I mean, there are some economic forces that are driving this situation too, beyond just the accord, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, almost all of the reduction we've seen in the use of coal in the U.S. is because natural gas has gotten cheaper, and because wind and solar have gotten cheaper. And you see a lot of utilities making decisions to install those and not new coal plants for economic reasons, uh, not only because it will be easier to meet emission attainment goals. So what are some of the things that uh, regular people in the U.S. might expect to happen as a potential result of this? You know, for instance, we've got emission standards for cars that are making them more fuel efficient. Is that going to get rolled back as a result? 
or you know, will will someone from the EPA come into your living room and turn off your lights while you're watching TV? Well, so the Trump administration, I mean, beyond withdrawing formally from the Paris Accord um, or attempting to, um, has also started rolling back rules about automobiles. They've also started trying to roll back the rules about power plants. And so under the Obama administration, we saw improvements in um, in the CAFE standards, sorry, the uh, fuel economy standards for automobiles that they're trying to push back. Um, you have automakers who have been making more efficient cars in response to that, which is why it's been it's become easier to, to buy a fuel-efficient car in the U.S. because of those rules. And so we might see some reduction of that. And then consumers might just have fewer fuel-efficient options on the market if automakers aren't being compelled to produce them. Um, you Most people kind of don't really notice where their utility, where their electricity comes from and what their utility drive, derives their power from. Um, but you might see uh, fewer switching to gas or coal or wind or solar. But power companies do say stuff like, oh, these standards are going to cost you a fortune. And yet I don't see, you know, it's, it's, you don't like go into the marketplace and purchase electricity. There's just like a utility. Right. Like usually you have one choice and that's what you get, right? I right. mean there have been an increasing number of uh, alternatives on the market where you can have power purchase agreements so you're buying wind or solar. Um, but uh, you know, most people don't even notice where their power is coming from. Uh, but you might see – your utility might be changing their long-term thinking based on these changes at the Trump administration. And also you sort of see this kind of cascading effects of uh, state-level policy as well. In a number of states, they've made programs so it's cheaper to, to put solar panels on your house that you can get tax credits. And yes. you might see states um, – I mean a lot of states are, have committed to doing them anyway. But there is potential that states could start changing their mind or, or not put in place policies of that of that sort because there's no longer going to be the incentive from the federal government that there, there was going to be under the Obama era. So one of the allegations that Donald Trump made about the Paris Accords – and I don't know. This sounds like it may be cynical and false, but you tell me. Mm. He said that the entire arrangement was simply a – well, he made it sound like a global conspiracy to just steal America money, America's money. I know. They're laughing at us. Yes. That is what he said. They're to, laughing, they're laughing at, us. at us. Yes. Echoes of Adolf Hitler. So any truth to that? Are they making off with our money? No. Okay. Cynical and false. <laughs> Cynical um, and false, and also the, the laughing at us. I mean, I mean, if anything, they're now like, is, is that we're now being we're now being made fun of for walking back for something. I mean, that the rest we were, of the world agrees on. We were the catalyst of this agreement. We were hardly being laughed at. We were the people who put it together, right? And if anything, they were the pressure from other countries was that it should have been tougher, and that they were they were not necessarily totally happy that it was voluntary, and they would have liked to have seen a treaty. I mean, the reason it's weaker than it could have been is because of the U.S. So there was a lot of doom saying. The day he went to the Rose Garden and gathered a jazz band and celebrated pulling out of the There was a lot agreement. of uh, literal doomsday. Yeah, a lot of doomsday. The, the it was very end. Titanic. Yeah, it was yeah. very – yeah, Titanic was, was, one of the, was one of the metaphors and memes of the day. But here are some things we've learned since then. We've learned that China is going to continue to honor their commitments, which is, which is huge for the collective action of, the, of, of all the partners. Um, we understand that India is, I think, uh, at least a year ahead on their commitments, which were also pretty vast. And we've seen people across this country, uh, mayors, corporations, uh, stepping up to try to fill this vacuum, say, we will continue to push for these changes uh, and demonstrate some leadership. It, is it possible that all Trump may end up doing – and, and it, I'll ask you to explain the whole like deadline to pull out in a minute. But in the, over the next four years is, is just abandon 
a personal leadership role in a major global commitment that would be filled by other other countries or other Americans? I mean, I certainly think that the efforts from states and cities and even like you have you have regional agreements on climate change, like right. the, the Northeast has one, the Pacific Coast has one. Um, I think those are very important and they'll probably go a long way toward toward meeting the goals anyway. But, you know, it's going to the, the laggard states who weren't going to act without a federal push are just not going to act. Might and those are enough, important. Might it be enough to keep the spirit of, our, of the other partnerships agreement? invested in it, that it's not a total abandonment of by America writ large. I mean, maybe I mean, Justin Trudeau yeah. was very, very pointed about this when he tweeted about it. He said that it was the federal – America's federal government that pulled out of the climate accord. He sort of left everybody else off the hook. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think those things are, are, are important, but I – it is the leadership from the federal level is also really important. I mean, this is kind of how we got ourselves through the, the Bush administration as well, right? Like that's why we had the the Northeast Agreement. This is why a lot of other states took action. And it's like it's it's nice and it's good, but it doesn't take the place of federal leadership. Okay, one last thing. The uh, my understanding is that the declaration that we're out of the Paris Agreement. It's kind of weirdly like Brexit. It doesn't take place right away, and and people say that the the day the date certain that we would be out if nothing else changes would be the day after the election. Uh, why in twenty twenty in, in twenty twenty? Yeah, sorry, in twenty twenty. So w- why is that? What, what make that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I mean that's kind of more like this is like how bureaucratic processes work at the UN. Like nothing happens very so just, fast, and it's like they don't want people to be able to say like we're leaving tomorrow, so they build in these kind of bureaucratic bureaucratic brick and brick, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, so that you can you can't just leave tomorrow. But and, and also just I mean for people to understand like these negotiations to bring together one hundred and ninety countries to to work on these things. It's a very slow process. So even getting the agreement took a really long time. And then affirming all, how do you meet all these goals that you've put up forward? And how do you, I mean, one of the biggest debates in writing the accord in the first place was like, how do you actually monitor and verify that yeah. your partners are doing the things that they said they're going to do? And so there is this, this sort of very long process. It's been a long time since the climate has was an election issue. I know that climate activists were were miffed throughout the 2016 election that no one was bringing these issues up in debates. Uh, that they, none of the the uh, presidential candidates were compelled to talk about this. Is it possible that this could become one of the key issues in the 2020 election? And are climate uh, activists equipped to make it an issue? It's a tough one. I mean, I feel like every election we're like, this is the election that climate change is going to be right, yeah. really important. Um, and when you when you do polls, the, the majority of Americans do care about this issue and want their leaders to to address it. But it's it's never the number one issue. It's sure. you know, yeah. economy five. Care <laughs> sometimes about it's, sometimes it's ten. Yeah, Did you I mean, care about I think, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I think people actually, you know, people don't want to see the world like you know destroyed. It's generally seen as a bad thing, um, but it is lower down the list. And so I think it's always going to be competing with those more immediate challenges that people face as an election issue. Um, but if, you know, if there are big – if there is a big pushback from the international community about this or if there are some climate-related disasters, I mean, those could change the calculus quite sure. a bit. Well, let's hope there's no climate-related disasters if- Not rooting for bad things to happen. All right, Kate, thanks for joining us uh, today. We will be right back. Hey, 
Hey, So That Happened listeners, I want to let you know about a new podcast that HuffPost has just launched. Yes, it's true. HuffPost does have other podcasts. This one is called IVFML, and it follows one couple through the hilarious, depressing, ridiculous, and expensive travails of trying to have a baby whilst struggling with infertility. We've got a little promo for you, and if it piques your interest, well, all five episodes of the series are available for download right now. Here you go. Hi, I'm Anna. And I'm Simon. We've been married for six years, and everything's been super good. Awesome. Great to hear that. But there's been one big sort of headline problem. We're We're infertile. infertile. We were so goddamn happy. I remember you gave me this phone call. You just said, baby, 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 baby. You just said that like a hundred times on the phone. I was so excited. And I just remember walking around the block in circles. Yeah. At that point, it had already been a year and a half since we'd been trying. Fuck. It had already been a year and a half? Yeah. Fuck. But our mission didn't work. Our happy feelings lasted about 48 hours. There's something really wrong. There's something really wrong with this pregnancy. I remember stuffing my phone in my pocket and all the emotion dropping out of the ultrasound text voice as she called for the doctor. I remember thinking, why the hell did I tell so many people about this? Why the hell did I tell so many people? Why the hell did I tell so many people? Why the hell did I tell so many people? Why the hell did I tell so many people? Why the hell did I tell so many people? IVFML, a new HuffPost podcast. Five episodes that we're releasing all at once. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. back. So uh, ever since Donald Trump has taken office, uh, a lot of us have looked around the world for those kind of crazy exogenous events that a normal president might be able to handle, but that a President Trump might cock up, let's just say. Uh, this week, something something akin to that kind of event brewed up in the Middle East. Uh, the uh, Saudi government has led a coalition of other Arab states in an isolation move on the nation of Cutter, uh, fresh off of Trump's visit. To talk about this, we're going to have Arthur Delaney. Hi. And uh, and Akbar Ahmed. Hello. Once again, back. You know there's foreign policy doing <laughs> when Akbar is on the show. Uh, Akbar, first of all, how do we pronounce this nation? So it's not Stephanie Cutter. I had to clear that up to someone the other day. It's also not Qatar. It is Qatar. Okay. So Qatar. Qatar. All right. I'm going to screw It is the state of Qatar. It's okay. not a kingdom. It's the state. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Cutter. I'll, I'll just pronounce it the bad way. Um, and it's geographically right in the middle. Yes. In between so, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Yes. One of, one of the things that I, I think we have to provide listeners is a little bit of the backstory sure. because Qatar has been uh, – it's been a regional rivalry with the Saudi government, with the Emiratis, with the Bahrainians before. What is it that has that, – uh, that is what, – what's the backstory on this whole – the relationship between the, these, these these nations. So Qatar is like really tiny. Like Qatar has 800,000 people, right? It's this small peninsula that juts off the main Arabian Peninsula. Its only land route is through Saudi Arabia. So Qatar's big nightmare in its existence is that the Saudis will one day just walk in and say, you're basically part of us anyway. So Qatar hedged its bets a long time ago in the 70s by offering to pay for and build the biggest American military base in the Middle East. Qatar is now home to between 10,000 and 11,000 American troops. It's where all the, the fighter jets bombing ISIS take off from. 
And it's just, as Arthur mentioned, between Saudi and Iran. I think what happened this week was, uh, you mentioned President Trump, and I, I don't think this sort of thing would have happened if we hadn't had a President Trump. Really? The Saudis and the Emiratis have disliked Qatar for a long time. Um, they, they dislike Qatar. They say it's because Qatar is close to Iran, which is really like an unfair kind of statement. It's geographically um, true. It is geographically true. However, Qatar, you know, Qatar and Iran are about as close as the United Arab Emirates and Iran. It's not very different. Um, but really it's about popular uprisings and political unrest. Qatar has supported around the region, uh, democracy activists uprisings against sitting regimes. And that is the ultimate nightmare. So they've added creatine to the scene, the Arab Spring. Uh, the right, Arab of the Arab Spring. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. In Tunisia, in Egypt, in Libya, in Syria, sure. um, they have been saying, we will fund you, we will help you, we will get illegitimacy. The Saudis and Emiratis would prefer the stability of the old regime. They like this idea of the, uh, yeah, what the Emiratis call the secular autocrat, right? Um, very arguably secular. Sure. Yeah, okay. But they've hated the Qataris for a long time. They've said, why are you doing this? Also, why do you run Al Jazeera? Uh, Qatar's marquee media property, huge in English, even bigger in Arabic, and hugely influential. Al Jazeera often has people who are opposition activists or human rights groups, people saying, this regime in Bahrain or Saudi Arabia is doing X or Y. Um, that's where a lot of the anger comes from. They've been wanting to punish Qatar for a long time. Um, and last week, just before this happened, I actually got some emails from the Emirati ambassador to the United States, a really interesting figure called Yusuf al where he explicitly just tells people, I want to shut down the American base. Why aren't we doing that yet? You know, I mean, wow. it's, it's really salacious stuff. These are countries that are close neighbors, right? That's like, you know, that's like an American state telling another American state, I just want to shut you down. Um, and it's, it's really... Unreal the level of anti-Qatar stuff that's been brewing. Now let's go to President Trump. If you remember, there was an article in like October of last year by someone called Selena something, really annoying individual. I basically said, take Trump li- seriously, but not literally. There right? was a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of this. It was always very said. annoying. Yeah. It's, and it's always hugely annoying. Um, Trump went to Saudi Arabia in about, in like late May. He met with the leaders of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, other countries. I think, based on my conversations with sources, that they took him seriously, but not literally. Trump literally said, I want to pull together all my Arab partner countries and we will stand against terror. Right? He said, that's what I'm doing. The orb that was that played a part the of orb. it. The orb, the orb indeed. You might remember the orb from last week, which <laughs> right. we are still going to steal. And I'm very disappointed <laughs> that none of you have emailed me about stealing the orb. Please send us an email at so that happened at heaventhepost.com. Subject: Steal the orb. Okay. Hugely important. So they gathered around the orb, and Trump literally said, "We are all together now. We are friends." But the Saudis and the Emiratis took him seriously. What they thought was Trump has said he's against Islam. He's against Islam generally, but he's also against Islam in politics, which is what Qatar supports. Islamist they, politics. Right. Yes. They okay. perceive this as Trump is telling us, go ahead and do whatever you want. If you remember, Trump also gave the Saudis a $110 billion arms package. Well, th- I, th- I thought that was fake news. Arguably. And we can get into that. But the point is the symbolism was there of Trump saying, here's all this money. Sure, right? sure. Okay. The symbolism yeah. was there regardless the of whether it's was real. There. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, so the Saudis and the Emiratis were like, wow, the president loves us, we can do 
whatever we want. I mean, they they laid it on pretty thick when he went over there. I mean, absolutely. They put his name on, put his face on billboards. They projected his image on a hotel, on a huge they hotel. Gave him a necklace. Yeah, they. Uh, it was a very shiny necklace. Yeah, they 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 went out of their way to flatter him, and I think that you know, cynically, I'll say it was probably the smartest move you could make. Absolutely. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. And I think that's what precipitated them saying on Monday morning, look, we've been wanting to strike Qatar for a while. Let's just do it. And the Emiratis, the Saudis cut off relations with Qatar. Bahrain does. Egypt does. And Yemen does. Now there's about, I think, nine countries and then two more which have downgraded relations with Qatar. And Trump praised that. Trump said that was good. Yes. So Trump, like... Even though our base is there. Yeah. And I mean, there are are 10,000 American troops there whose lives, you know, depend on Qatar's goodwill. Is there going to be a war over there? A new war? I don't think so. Okay. Because I, people say th- this is this the Saudis and the Iranians could have a war. Right. Uh, and this is their proxies arranging them. Had Trump not backtracked, so as you mentioned, like Trump weighed in on one side of the dispute. Briefly. Yeah. Trump ever so briefly attacked Qatar in three tweets and said the Saudis are right and correct and do whatever you want. And that's all he said on the matter. And then he called the Qatari ruler and said I'm really sorry, let's make up. And this was the action of some HR McMaster, you know, Javanka, <laughs> whoever is whispering in his ear. Trump has not pushed this problem. What a mess. Tussle. Okay. But that's still a mess. Uh, an- another thing happened that I'm sure everyone yeah. heard about, which was the ISIS attack in Iran. Yeah. Now, d- does, does that make the situation even more volatile? I would say it, it makes it a tougher situation for the Saudis and the Emiratis who thought they were going to get away with anything they wanted in this era. And not because there's a lot of conspiracy theories. The Iranians are saying the Saudis did it. The Saudis don't control ISIS. ISIS attacks Saudi Arabia frequently all the time. But there is now a wellspring of sympathy for Iran, which has never been hit by ISIS in this way. And it's their parliament. And let's not forget, they gave us a huge demonstration of how, to some degree, they do have elections. They have democracy. So they struck the parliament, and Qatar is looking isolated, and that's all looking messed up. So Saudi Arabia is looking pretty bad right now. No one is sympathetic towards them. Everyone is sympathetic towards their opponents. I think we're going to see a lot of Saudi backpedaling. Um, They'll have to do it in some way that saves face. But luckily, they have 10,000 members of their royal families. They can always trot out another princess, you know. So, so thanks to Trump's backpedaling and uh, where, where regional sympathies are at the moment, yeah. you don't think the situation will continue I, to escalate? Because no. commentators on TV and Twitter this week were saying, what a mess. This is bad. I just said what a mess, actually. <laughs> commentators. <laughs> Comment, <saying>? Commentators <laughs> on TV, Twitter, and podcast. Sitting right next to you. Him. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be a military involvement. Um, I think that Trump really got taken unawares, and as you were saying, Jason, like we, are, it's always interesting to see how he reacts to exogenous events. And in this instance, he clearly tweeted out before thinking, before talking, before even looking at what. Well, he's signing with the people who who lavished it with praise with, and, 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 and necklaces. Yeah, necklaces. Yeah, it's really simple. It's yeah, really, that's it's, t- it's, Trump doctrine, like shiny. It's an easy I game. like it. Show right. him shiny bobble. <laughs> Right, the orb, and, uh, but on but on and something like this where the uh, situation Pay is tribute. actually extremely complicated, yes. Trump will not. Trump Trump may be inclined to listen to people who understand it better That's and, and stop yeah. from from doing his blundering. Especially because in this kind of situation, 
I think we also have. I, I I hate to speak about the president this way, but like I think we have to see him as like driven by a couple of things, and I don't think that anything here is that interesting to him. It's too like, complicated. It's too complicated. There's there's no easy thing that he can get of like feeling strong, standing next to people in military uniforms, getting money. You know what I mean? Like, Akbar, you. This is the way everyone should think about the president, and and because he's the president, people have been extremely hesitant to think this way for his whole political career. But the truth is. He's not a complicated man. Right. He's not right. cunning. The whole idea and of being know- a de- demagoguery is, you know, there's a stigma against that because it's so effective. And, and he's so no interested in like, learning the complexities. I mean, he has access now to some of the leading foreign policy experts in the world. He could he could learn so much about the world he lives in, Please. but he chooses President not to. President Nixon slash Trump did have Henry Kissinger in the Oval Office. Jason, oh, that's let's true. not forget that. That's true. Fresh off of Henry Kissinger's uh, blurb on Jared in the Time 100. Yeah, I remember that. Well, anyway, I think you. I, it seems like you've got a uh, the right way of looking yeah. at Trump based on how Trump has acted in every situation, not just foreign policy ones. That this, he is a simple man. This has got to be one of those times, though, when the fact that he has access to Twitter like nearly got it, it was a huge problem that day on on Tuesday when he issued these tweets Tuesday morning. It really seemed as though something very bad could happen and a military invasion. If you could imagine a Saudi invasion of a country hosting a base with 10,000 American troops, I mean, that would be unreal. Um, it would be surreal. But, but, but I, I, you know, when we talked last week about Trump doctrine, our uh, allies across the world understand right. that the president is simple and that his unvarnished thoughts right. are what he tweets and that you don't take that as U.S. policy because people like H.R. McMaster (laughs) will be there to clean up the mess or explain, you know, this is what we're really uh, It's still, I think, really problematic because we have some of our allies, we'll call Saudi Kingdom an ally, who will go out of the way to pay this man tribute and others that will just continue to try to be straight with him, like our European allies. And you see see who he favors when he has to make a split decision. To support or not support, you see who he favors. He favors the people who lavish attention. On. And you see what backfires. Flatter, I think, is important too. This the Saudi bet did not pay off in the end. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Well, uh, Akbar, thanks for joining us. This is hugely complicated part of the world. I'm grateful to have you explain it to us. Uh, we will be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Akbar Ahmed, Arthur Delaney, Elise Foley, and Kate Shepard. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts, including our new IVFML in the iTunes store. And while you're there, Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we miss you already.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 